0: Episode 59, 2023 Wrapped in Grading, with Ryan from GemRate. Hey card fam, you ever feel that sting like I have when you sell a card online only to see 12 to 14% of your hard-earned money just vanish in seller fees? It's almost like a penalty for using online platforms. But here's the game changer, my card post. Instead of those frustrating fees on every sale, I just pay a small monthly subscription. So that way I get to keep a lot more in my pocket. My card post is a place where collectors like us come together. It's about building new relationships in a trusted community where we can all safely buy trade and sell BTS. And that's what I'm about community building and safe transactions. If you want to join, it's free to set up an account. If you only want to buy but if you want to sell and trade as well you can get started for as little as nine dollars a month and you know i gotta hook you up for listening use promo code denny when you join and you'll get 30 percent off your first three months and i'm already there i have my shop i'm buying trading and selling and most importantly connecting so go to mycardpost.com and use my promo code Denny. D-E-N-N-Y. Come check it out. I think you'll really like it. So see you there where my card post. Every night is trade night. Okay. I think we are live. Uh, Okay. So Ryan, I didn't Mentioned this to you in our pre-call discussion, which was very brief because <laughs> I was running a little late. So I plan to run a sponsor ad right before this recording. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Um, it's, but it's not for Gemrate though. We'll
1: talk. <laughs>
0: we'll maybe, talk.
1: Maybe, maybe, maybe we can fit you in, or we'll uh, we'll make the twenty twenty four cut.
0: Okay. Um, so the reason I bring that up is I had you on in August four months ago. So this is Ryan from Gemrate. Uh, awesome graphics, great data on Instagram and other places, which we'll talk about. So I had you on uh, four months ago, a little bit right after the national, and I was starting up this Meet the Greater series, and you kind of helped set the table for that, which I really appreciate. And so we talked. I can't remember the full amount. We I think we talked over an hour, which is what I usually what <laughs> which is what usually happens with me. But I turned it into a three part series because I decided to do these like little monologue intros and in one of those intros i kind of was just talking about sponsorships and um so that's why i wanted to bring that up because it's been something on my mind for a while and uh, i only just recently started uh putting out like sponsored reads uh canned reads or live reads or whatever it is so i just wanted to kind of let you know that that's happening before this episode starts
1: that's great congrats on landing those Uh, that's a big deal
0: Thank you. Yeah. You know, that's, it's that's what people say. It's like, oh man, don't take it for granted. It's like a, it actually is like a testament or it's a big deal. And don't take it for granted because you don't, you never know when that stops and all that. And I'm just kind of like, okay. Like I, people don't believe me when I say, I don't know what I'm doing. They think, oh, he's got this whole thing planned out. I, I am flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> So with regards to this recording, uh, we have you on to talk about uh, the year in grading. uh, And I kind of meet this little graphic. I thought it was a fun, silly idea, uh, you know, because 2023 Spotify wrapped, right? It's like the year, here's what you did, here are the songs and, you know, all that stuff. And I thought, let's have Ryan on if he will have me or if he will, you will have me or I will have you. I don't know. One of those two. And I thought, let's do a year in review, uh, grading review. And I put, uh, I, I made a little Photoshop of, um, you know, putting in the word grading into my Spotify, kind of like my Instagram post. And I said, give me your questions. And in the past, so much engagement, so many questions. And then this time, just absolute crickets. So uh, I don't think it's because there's no appetite for grading. I think that it's stronger than ever. I think it's just that. Uh, my engagement is just lower. It might be because I took on sponsors, and people are just turned off by me. It's possible. <laughs> so, um, so since we don't have a lot of questions, uh, it was great having you on. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate. Yeah, it. this was yeah. I, you just spoke so much. Um, no, so so let's go ahead and just kind of talk about. Um, you know, we we didn't do a lot of prep for this uh, call. You've put on some amazing graphics with universal pop reports and I mean, maybe I'll just have you start talking about what you've done this past month and ha- how things are looking for you.
1: Yeah, so this month we sort of, in the last two years we've done mostly um, work behind the scenes on data. Not a lot of like collector facing upgrades or updates to what we've been doing. Uh, we just, you know, we published the monthly report, which obviously you know, generates a lot of discussion, which we like to see uh, just because creating is so polarizing or sort of tribal. Um, but for the first time in two years, we finally released some new data. And then we also sort of started to preview this universal pop report, which I think we've talked about a decent amount uh, in our initial conversation. And we're finally starting to window what that looks like and sort of bring to market the first sets um, to help showcase what we think the universal pop report could look like. You know, it's still early, so we're very you know, open and welcome to feedback. Um, but the new data that we released was around. PWCC did an iconic 100 last year at the end of the year, and you know I really people have been asking, is there sort of a gem rate equivalent to uh you know the pricing that index, indexes or indices that you see from some of the collection management tools or auction houses? And I've been thinking about the last couple of years, and I, I thought that the PWCC iconic 100 was a good representative list of just really significant cards in the hobby, and I wanted to showcase you know the the quality side of grading. So the monthly report really captures the high level macro, you know, picture of, you know, just who's seeing the most volume from a grading standpoint or seeing the least volume, Uh, you know, but I've seen some, I read all the comments all the time and, you know, people will comment, well, you know, McDonald's sells a lot of hamburgers, but doesn't mean they're the best, you know, restaurant chain. And so, you know, one of the things I really wanted to do was uh, give people a peek behind the quality side and this iconic 100, we're calling it the iconic tracker, which is, following the cards that are on a satanic 100 uh, give people a much better view of just like how are the most significant cards being graded how often how frequently uh, but who's grading them what even some i think that's one of the things that people are going to find most interesting is just you know is there uh anything noteworthy happening with these you know massive cards in the hobby whether that's the 86 flare or the 52 mantle or you know the 79 gretzky's things like that um so that was the new data that we released this month and then we tied that to the universal pop report and we released 30, 35 sets to co- you know, to basically showcase all cards and those sets and what it would look like, what the grading population looks like for all of the big graders that we cover, which is PSA, SGC, Beckett, and CGC.
0: I think it's very smart to go top down, right? Start with the most iconic, start with the ones that people have the most interest and in, have the most eyeballs and saturation. It makes sense. Uh, but I do have to ask you. So I'm guessing here in this analogy with fast food restaurants, PSA is the McDonald's, right?
1: Yeah, honestly, it just depends on who's commenting. That's the beauty of this data. I love it. Like I can hear the same, you know, I will see one month people will comment. It's PSA. And the next month, somebody will comment. It's SGC, you know, and mm-hmm. then it's, it's always just a, a discussion and it's obviously very um, subjective. So yeah, PSA gets that comment a lot, but you know now that SGC is number two by mm-hmm. the grading numbers, oftentimes uh, you know they'll get the same. Jeez.
0: I kind of want to know who's Burger King, Wendy's, <laughs> and then like who's the Arby's? I guess maybe you don't you don't cover the Arby's of the world. Uh, they've got the meats, by the way. They're not a sponsor though.
1: Right, right. Well, I'd like to think that there's like a Shake Shack mixed in, a Five Guys, right. you know, right? right. Like Ooh. we've got some good stuff happening here. Maybe that's Ooh. the tags of the world that people are, you know, interested oh. in, the arena clubs. Mm. You know, so anyways, there's oh. a there's definitely like a lot of I don't know, there's just a lot of debate. And so this quality yeah. index is gonna just shed some light on, you know, just like where are these really iconic cards going.
0: One of those people, one of those companies might be a sponsor. So <laughs> um, but no, I gotta say, it's uh again, I said I, I don't think it's a lack of appetite for grading. Um, the the year over year continues to show great growth right month over month it's just we're, we're we keep grading more right there's no cards to run out of to grade i mean so long as cards are being produced by the manufacturers so long as people are buying those cards and so long as people want to either i mean i know a lot of people are like well people just grade to flip and you know you're trying to sell it but there are people who also grade just to preserve right i mean that was arguably the original reason for grading i don't know but um would you i'll let you kind of talk to that with the numbers like year over year and all that
1: yeah it's interesting i was trying to think about ahead of this call just sort of like what are the big picture macro trends or sort of you know what how would i summarize this year and i think like tcg is a huge part of the story Mm. but it's led to a bit of an edge fake in sort of how people are perceiving sort of the strength of grading like tcg is going to be up 50% 50% or something. I, I don't hold me to these numbers. You know, the year's obviously not finished and I don't know them off the top of my head. But mm-hmm. now let's say TCG is gonna be up 50%. And sports is gonna be down single digits uh year over year across mm-hmm. all grading companies. You know, and that's the bulk of that is weighted towards PSA, but it's representative. That's 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 trend holds for all the companies. Um and what I what I think is happening there is people perceived grading to be really strong, but TCG is carrying a lot of the load. And I think mm-hmm. TCG. There's still a lot of question marks, just of you know, where are all these slabs going? You know, how many of these are hitting the market? Are they are they landing, you know, collections instead? Is there a different dynamic happening in the TCG space than what we've seen with sports, where there was this you know massive bubble created and then sort of a massive correction over the last few yeah. years? And so the question is, like, is TCG different, or are we sort of going down that same path, and it's just on a staggered timeline? Uh, so that's like one is TCG has mm-hmm. been really interesting, but it's definitely carrying the load. And like, if you actually just segment it down to sports, sports is going to be down single digits. And I think that's a, it's a, it's a meaningful and noteworthy trend. Um, and so what that means for the grading companies is interesting too, because you know, you're seeing, I, I don't know exactly what the number is. Or maybe I have it up here. Yeah. So like grading is going to be up know 17, let's call it 15 to 20% year over year on um, total mm-hmm. volume. Okay. You have to factor in pricing and pricing is going to be down to 20% year over mm-hmm. year. And so, you know, net, net, a lot of these grading companies are going to be up slightly, down slightly, you know, even though so the perception is that more cards are going, you know, coming in the door. It's definitely the collecting community, the investing communities gotten smarter over the last couple of years. And so, you know, they're, they're definitely more considerate of what they're sending in. And I do think there's been much more of an aggressive pricing, you know, play or sort of movement in the market. And so, Net, net, you know, I think grading's sort of treading water in a lot of ways. So, the story from what I published, from just a pure volume standpoint, looks pretty positive. But if you kind of start to dig into the details, it's, it's, it's in a good place relative to a lot of the other parts of the hobby, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's, um, you know, you look at marketplaces or you look at just the overall sort of, you know, I don't know, anything that's related to sort of sales. I don't know exactly what the manufacturer numbers would look like. But, anyways, the perception of the hobby's been down quite a bit. And I think grading's, up relative to a lot of other sort of components of the hobby but it's also sort of like it's not it's not you know a home run as it relates to like the momentum i think they're doing well relatively speaking but they also have their own sort of challenges
0: thank you for that i you already preempted uh a couple of my questions actually but the, the next question i was actually going to ask was are does your data seem to indicate that people are getting smarter with what they're submitting um, because I know there's the quantitative aspect of data and then the qualitative. And so, you know, the, the, the big thing people were submitting was like, say paper based rookies, right? I mean, that's from the jaw Zion, you know, LaMelo, all that stuff. People were just submitting paper based and it was flooding the market. Um, you were able to see the, the type of players and we're going to get to that later down the road too. Just, the, you know, Zion being in the top 10 of most graded players from PSA and all that. But, um, I think you answered it right people are getting smarter with what they're submitting
1: people are definitely getting smarter and i think still part of that is circumstantial because manufacturing is so delayed you know these cards come out and a lot of players sort of you know they've already sort of had enough time to sort of you can have a a fair understanding of like these you know the prospects if they do have potential or if they're sort of quickly going to flame out and so i do think that's led to one just people not being able to grade as much as quickly as they used to as it relates to like the prospecting standpoint and, mm-hmm. you know, getting ahead of things before the season starts or as the season sort of building momentum. And that's sort of gone away because, you know, we still have 2022 flawless that hasn't even hit the market yet, you know, <laughs> for last year's MBA rookie, rookie class and these things. So you know, anyways, I think it's part of a circumstantial. And then in general, I do think people are just, the great to flip that element's not as strong as it used to be. And so mm-hmm. people recognize that. And then uh, I think that people have definitely like shied away from base. Obviously I think there's a lot in the market that tells us that that's something new. But I do think grading is definitely, on um, from that through that lens, is pulled back quite a bit as well. So there's a few different pieces in fl- or sort of things in play there. Um, but in general, I think the hobby's gotten a lot smarter as it relates to grading.
0: Good. Um, well, good job, us. Congratulations, <laughs> everyone. We've we've uh, with enough time in the hobby, we've gotten a little bit smarter. Maybe we we have learned something. So. Um, this is not anything, uh, this is completely anecdotal and based on what I've talked to with you know, um, friends in the hobby and just people I've transacted with. But my understanding or that, hey, um, please let me know if this is a myth or not. I heard that right now, uh, you know, recording this, um, mid December. PSA 8s are the same uh, from a comp or a value standpoint as raw cards. And we're talking about ultra-modern cards, right? I mean, I'm not talking about 80s and 90s cards, but PSA 8, ultra-modern, basketball, football, same as raw. And then PSA 9s, they're not even one and a half times. Like, they're almost – some Some of them are even the same as raw. I mean, and again, we're talking about, like, not raw uh, – we're not talking about, like, rare and golds and out of 50s. We're talking about really kind of like those – maybe, you know, paper-based rookies or just the refractors or the hollows. But do you have any insight as to that? Like what the values yeah. are with respect to PSA? Um, well, and I use PSA, of course, for the the resale value. Um, you know, the, they're the king in that, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I don't have any data points to, you know, speak to, but first from my personal experience, and, you know, I can pull out some anecdotes from that, but just what I've seen, um, I would say it's even stronger than what you said, which is I think it's much more like, PSA 9s in general are the equivalent of raw and and oftentimes less than raw as well, because people are, you know, this is such a speculative hobby that people would rather take that chance of paying for a 3X multiple of raw versus buying the actual, you know, let's just call it a PSA 9 or a mint card in general. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, and there's just so the population of mint cards today is sort of ridiculous, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, when you have all these different parallels and you have all these different options, you know, there, you sort of have to you have to be sort of thinking, looking at things through a pretty rare or specific lens to be interested in a PSA nine to begin with a lot of times, Mm -hmm. you know, this depends, everybody's got their own sort of like, style and preferences as it relates to it. But like, the number of people search, you know, seeking out PSA nines in general, or or a mint card is much smaller than it used to be. So Mm -hmm. relative to how many people are participating in the hobby, or sort of like the proportion of the hobby. So I think that plays into it but anyways the short answer is i definitely think that's the case and i think that's a bit of a problem because what happens is you know one of the big knocks against my data which is a uh, is sort of just a downstream of pop reports in general is that there's a lot of cracking that happens and so if you get back a PSA8, you know you are in this weird moral you know predicament of well if i crack it and sell it i can make more money but like should i just sell it and let people know what this psa you know this card is a is a whatever psa mm-hmm. sgc8 right like mm-hmm. are you for the good of the hobby just going to leave it in that case and take a hit or do you mm-hmm. crack it out and you know sell it and maybe pick up an extra 10 20 whatever or if it's a higher-end card you know you're, you're definitely like talking about more more at stake and so that's the real interesting part of this hobby which is like where does your sort of moral compass fall and mm. you know it's a it's a shaky grounds, you know because we're all doing things a bit differently and so yeah. you know who's to say who you know everybody's got an opinion but it's like I, I don't know it's just everybody's got an opinion it's sort of the short answer there and there's no right answer um and that's a problem though because we do see a lot of people that do crack and like there's there's a whole market i'm sure of people that have you know found arbitrage and cracking psa you know there's way more psa sixes on the market today psa sevens in the market for ultra modern cards by order of magnitude than there were, you know, just a few years ago. You see it all the time where PSA used to never give out sixes. and Now all yeah. the times for dents and, you know, uh, centering and all these different issues. They're much more willing to sort of land on like a PSA six. And there's a whole market, unfortunately, that people just buy those slabs, break them out and sell them as raw again and go through that same process. And so, you know, and you can make money doing that, which is unfortunate. And so, you know, it creates these d- downstream behaviors that are, not beneficial to the hobby in
0: a lot of ways. You're right. Um, well, for <laughs> so when you said you had some uh, people who knock your data, it's oh my gosh, Ryan from Jimrate has haters too. We all have haters. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's crazy. You, you're just reporting data, and people are upset about that. People can get upset about everything nowadays. It's nuts. Um, so you know, it's really interesting. Uh, the 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 ethical way to crack again everyone's moral compass and ethic value system are going to be all different but one way that i recently saw that i really admired and i don't i have to think about whether i would do this because and and it's not because i'm not a moral ethical person but this person really went out of their way to do it i think a really admirable way so i'm going to give a shout out and this was not in my notes or anything like that but um 90s kit card collector curtis he Loves cards raw, um, but he actually buys like, say, PSA eights and then and cracks them. And then he cracks and doesn't resub. He puts them in one touches, makes them look pretty, like the prettiest cards on the uh, on the Internet, on social media. So shout out to him for that. But then he actually sends these, um, you know, the 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 thermal printed red and white, um, the labels, he sends them to Nat Turner for removal from the registry. I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, he that's a rare bird in this hobby, though. I think if, yeah. obviously there's just it's not an easy system. It's not sort of a well-known system. And, it, you know, there's a lot of friction there. I do think like, let's say it was a much simpler and sort of seamless system. You know, there definitely would be more people willing to do that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's like few and far between of the people that are actually collecting yeah. those and actually returning them to the company. And it really depends, too, right, because that's a pure collector there. Who wants those to no longer yes. be his intentions are this is not a this is no longer in existence like it's literally not in the slab anymore let's remove it a lot of people are cracking them out or resubmitting them right and so they have mm-hmm. no intention of even going through the motions of sort of they don't even acknowledge that card in yeah. the slab
0: right <laughs> they don't right um you know pure collector is such a term i've heard that uh elsewhere in in my instagram and I don't know. It just seems so like Harry Potter, like muggles and half-bloods, <laughs> like who's a real pure, you know, or pure collectors just, you know, people just buy and never sell and just kind of like, I, I don't know. It's, I won't talk about it with you here because I don't, I don't want to get. No, it's great. It's,
1: no, it's good, but it's a spectrum and I totally agree. And it's like, you know, I, I actually, I sort of get kind of wants to fire it up, but it kind of rubs me the wrong way when I hear a lot of that too, because ultimately like I collected as a kid and I collected on the dream of like, you know, in the early 90s of cards being worth something 20 years later. And like, it was yeah. like I was making trades, I was collecting what I liked, but I always had this intention of like, I collect this, but I don't expect them to go to zero. And this is not mm-hmm. just like, you know, um, a binder that I, you know, is collecting dust and maybe somebody appreciates. Like, there was always this idea of like they do sort of accumulate value. So I think like to separate sort of like, um, Anyways, yes, I think it's a spectrum, and I do think it, like, value plays a big part of that, yeah. whether that's in the near term or the long term. It, 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 so I, I agree. Like, pure collector can definitely, like, be one of those you know, just uh, buckets that maybe doesn't, you know, whatever. It's maybe it's a slippery slope. I don't know. I don't know exactly how right. to describe it, but it's yeah. definitely, like, not not as true as people want it to sound.
0: Right, right. Um, and and the value of the binders when we were kids, I got to very much say, um, I kept telling s- that to my parents, my mom and dad, I'm like, listen, it's not like a, it's not, a, you know, I didn't call them consumables and collectibles back then. But I was just like, look, this is like, I'm spending my money on this. And this is going to be like, so nice and expensive when I grow up. Right. And they were like, you know, they're immigrant parents. so They're like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I remember my mom would be like, Why? why do you care so much about Michael Jordan? Like he's not f- feeding you and clothing you like I am. And I'm like, I don't know. You're, you're not cool. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, you're not as cool as him. Um, but no, you know, actually I, uh, this, I did want to speak about, cause you, you, we just talked about gem rates and all that. Um, PSA. Like I used to call them, you know, I'm not going to do the whole <sighs> emperors wear nose, clo- uh, no clothes. Cause um, I'm not saying that's the reason I got a 10% gem rate on my recent submission, but <laughs> it, it, I don't think it helped. I don't think it helped. Um, but You know, there was this general consensus from people and, and, you know, you know, why, why are they the resale King with that? I I don't think there's general consensus, but one of the things that they did really well, I think was they didn't do the 9.5. They went from, you know, nine to 10. I know they have like 8. You see, they're so rare to see 8.5 and 7.5, especially, you know, those for like the older cards, but um, I you know, a lot of people were like, You gotta have a 9.5 and you gotta do this. And and, and they were like, they held they held firm. They're like, No, we're not doing subgrades, we're not doing nine point five. We're gonna, we, we're doing what we're doing, and it's going well, so we're gonna keep doing it. So f- to me, it's almost like PSA was like the cool teacher. I think we talked about this in the past too. Let's like they're the cool teacher who gives out all the A's, and then you got like the Beckett who who's like the the strict German teacher who's like, nine, Wiedersehen and just like really strong and then you have like you know just these other graders and teachers out there but like PSA was like every, all the kids want a PSA they're like oh my gosh did you guys hear about you know Mr. PSA he's so cool he's he is just like he's like the PE teacher and he's like oh yeah yeah you can run a lap just I'll give you an A so the reason i bring that up is i mean how how did we get here how do you think we got here like PSA just dominating the grading space
1: um yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big question. And I think we touched on a little bit the first time. And I think it, a lot of it does come down to some of their history, the legacy of the brand matters. So, like, you know, I think the premium people pay for a slab is a little bit of, like, a, a bet on, like, the longevity of the company. And so, you know, I think part of the reason you've seen Beckett's pricing decline or sort of that their sort of multiplier premium decline is that People aren't as certain they're gonna be a grading company, you know, five, 10 years from now, or sort of not look and feel the same, that's for sure. Okay. And so you've seen a pullback in sort of their premium in the market. Um the PSA, you know, they have the longevity or duration, but they also have a guarantee, which is unique or sort of differentiated from a lot of players. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. very well defined. There's actually policies around it. It's it, there's not, you know, there's limitations to it, but you know there's some guarantees and certainty around when you buy a PSA slab, what you get or sort of what, what they're assuring uh, as a result of purchasing that slab. And so I do think that plays into it. And then the one that people like to really lean their hat on, which is still unclear sort of how much of a role it plays in the ultra modern and modern market, the set registry is something people really want to lean on Mm, a lot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sort of lean into. Um, And the challenge with that is I, I look at the set registry numbers all the time and, you know, it's not, it's, a, it's an important part of vintage. It's not a relevant part of most mm. of the modern and ultra modern hobbyists. So, you know, obviously I think when most of us, especially like the people who've come back into cards over the last few years and, you know, are doing content and, um, you know, creating companies, like a lot of us are focused on modern and ultra modern. And we talk about the premium through that lens and that really is not supported by the set registry conversation. Mm. So, you know, I think that sort of gets overblown in some ways as it relates to like the, the more recent cards that are in the market. Uh, so I do think there's a lot that's still to be defined, but I definitely think like part of it is the guarantee part of it is sort of the longevity of the brand. And I do think that's why you see like XTC slowly making some, you know, momentum, making up some, mo- or getting some momentum there. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty long play to close the premium. You kind of are either waiting for a company to screw up, you mm-hmm. know, there's, there's rarely like, in the grading space, I often think about, like, how do you sort of break through? And a lot of times, historically, companies have had to wait for, like, screw ups, you know, effectively to take advantage of it, whether that's, you know, a uh, company shutting down and no longer being able to sort of take on, you know, take cards in and out, um, or there's, you know, a pricing hiccup or whatever it might be. You know, there's really it's hard to break through. And so you're playing a long game, and so. I don't know that it's very well explained and I do think it's a great question, but I do think like people like to point to the sub-registry and I just don't, I do think it matters, but I don't think it matters nearly as much for the ultra modern. And so I do think there's a lot that's not quite explained. And I do think it's probably this um, perception of liquidity is probably a big part of the, probably like a big piece of the mm-hmm. premium. So like when you think about like stocks and people don't like to compare parts of stocks, but I do think there's some parallels for sure. Like the PSA yeah. slab is very liquid. And so when you think about what gets priced into it, you can move that with very few questions asked. Any other grading company, there's questions that are brought into the equation. And so yeah. there's probably some part of the PSA premium that is just a liquidity factor, right? And that's probably much larger than people realize and maybe overblown to some degree, but it but it definitely exists.
0: Gotcha. So waiting, <laughs> I really like the way you said that. It's almost like we're Waiting for someone to screw up, and you get kind of gave some good examples of that. But in my head, I immediately went to uh, because John Moran, um, by the time we're recording this, or uh, I don't know when it's gonna be published, but uh, he's supposed to be coming off his uh suspension for showing off his gun. So I'm picturing in my head, as you're saying that, like Nat Turner showing off a gun on his Instagram Live, being like, Look at all these girls. you know, he's in his car and his buddies, you know, he's uh, someone's like, Hey man, don't do that, don't do that. So it's yeah, not a mean- mistake. <laughs>
1: No, but I mean, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, it's it's really hard to break through. And so you really have to be patient and sort of like, that's why I do think it's interesting, again, with all these different pieces that we publish and how people react to it. It's, you know, all, all these brands are trying that are challengers to PSA to, for, you know, competing mm-hmm. for this number two spot. They all have very different approaches. SGC has gone like a promotional route. Beckett's really right. done nothing, but they're mm-hmm. sort of like actually doing fairly well much better than people perceive them to be doing, which, okay. is, a, which is a testament to how strong that brand is. Mm-hmm. And then you have CGC, who's like very partnership oriented, right? Yeah, and they're all yeah. sort of like planting flags, Yeah. some better than others or stronger than others, but like mm-hmm. they're there and, you know, they're hoping that there's some, I'm making this up, but like they're hoping PSA has some sort of scandal or something like that, right? And it's like, or there's some sort of like massive economic or sort of, you know, whatever event that happens that, you know, just, creates an opportunity for another company to step in there. Um, but until then, you know, they're just sort of like fighting for a second place. And that's actually like a great place to be in. Like they're very profitable or I don't know, should right. say profitable, but like these companies make money or at least they generate decent revenue. I don't know if they actually make money, but you know, they're meaningful. And like, again, we talked about this on the first call as well, but they don't necessarily have to be winning or in first place to be a, you know, a very productive company.
0: hmm You know, um, I I definitely want to get to the data since you are such a data guy um, and analytics driven and with regards to the market share. So um, I know you already have it at your fingertips. I'm not trying to like buy time here, but I did want to say uh, what from what you just said, I found it really refreshing that when I had on some of the smaller grading companies, um, I can't remember exactly who, but I think maybe it was um, C3 grading their president, Eddie, who was like, you know, I was like, you know, you guys, you guys aren't rate is your goal to be number one. He's like, we're not even we're not even formula 1 we're formula 2 we we want right, to get in right, formula right, 1 right. we 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 understand that we are not competing in the the same level as the top 4 which is you know of course the the top 4 is the ones that you you report on and they have the pop reports and they have you know data that they share but when it comes to um you know market share yeah it's like again the mcdonald's burger king wendy's like you know, they're just Burger King. They're just waiting for some uh, botulism breakout or some, uh, you know, more <laughs> more cow, more cow brain disease uh-huh. uh, in in one of McDonald's is, um, you know, um, uh, supplier chain. But yeah, no, I, I I think that's a really good way to put it. Like with regards to um, what's going on with the. Um, kind of like the jockeying for position they're not they don't have to get number one right now and not just just not being number one right now is okay because they're just kind of like wait you know holding patterns or gaining market share so if we could talk about the market share um how how does the data like what what is the data forbear um i don't even know how, how i'm saying it but like what does this data show with regards to market share keeping in mind one more thing i'm sorry um which is Tokyo, um, PSA opened up an, an office in Tokyo, Japan about a month or two, uh, two, three months ago, something like that. Yep. I presume they opened that for Pokemon cards. I know the Otani market's hot, and I know yeah. that's like really big, <laughs> but I doubt that they opened it up for baseball, <laughs> basketball, football. So keeping in mind that uh, PSA oh, did open up a big <laughs> office in Tokyo, what do the numbers uh, look like from January to uh, December?
1: Yeah, I mean, they opened it up or in the summer, right? And so, I mean, it is, it is funny, though. Ever since that's happened, it's, it's definitely like a coincidence, but it is pretty funny. Otani's been like a top-graded player, you know, by like a landslide mm. since that, you know. I mean, he obviously had like a, another breakout sort of trajectory-changing season this year, right? And so, you know, he's been thriving, but it doesn't hurt, um, you know, that they opened up that office. And so it's definitely it was obviously oriented towards TCG. If you actually hear about, I think Ryan Hogue is – to like they do a lot of like japanese baseball like, i think it's the i don't know how you say it in the phone or what the league is called but like they do a lot of those cards over there relatively
0: soon. oh yeah the nippon professional league, npl or nbl yeah nippon, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sure yep, yeah yep.
1: Oh yeah so that That's there's a- like you know they see a decent amount of those cards coming through the door and things like that hmm. but it's definitely if you just like want to break it down into like incrementality i think they do like five to ten thousand additional cards I want to say per day as a result of that opening. So, you know, they went from basically, yeah, that's correct. It's like they went from almost doing 50K a day on like a full capacity day to doing 60K a day on a full capacity day. Throwing New Jersey into that mix as well. And they're just, you know, which is primarily TCG oriented Mm. too. You know, that's why they've been, you know, in part, been able to grade a lot more cards. Also sort of one of the things that I've heard from all the grading companies is that TCG cards are easier to grade. So you can grade, you know, almost two times as many cards for TCG cards, you know, or, or in half the amount of time you can grade a TCG card versus a sports card. Mm. And so or you can grade twice as many over the same amount of time. And so that's the time. Yeah. So you know that's part of why I think one, there's been a lot of rallying around TCG and you know there's a willingness to sort of go cheap on TCG pricing from a grading standpoint. Uh, there's just obviously like a lot of cards out there. But yeah, so the the Japanese market has definitely opened up some meaningful capacity PSA, for example. And you know, you see like CGC, for example, again talking to like all these grading companies and their strategies, CGC is definitely one of the ones that's trying to go global. You know, and so mm-hmm. we'll see like they're mm-hmm. placing a bet there, right? They've got some pretty sizable backing and they're placing a bet that global could be one of the ways that they like obviously if you're watching PSA yeah, pretty closely, there's definitely like an opportunity. There's different sort of stages and, and sort of um you know levels of focus and sort of level of commitment. But International is a big part of the story too. Interesting. Interesting.
0: All right. So when it comes to the market share, the, the piece of the pie, right? The oh, pie yeah. can grow. It, 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 the pie can become, go from an eight inch pie to a 10 inch pie to a 12 inch pie. Now at this point, I'm trying to figure out what am I talking about pizza or, or uh, dessert pies? But um, <laughs> so when it comes to this, uh, the majority, I imagine, is still PSA. Like eighty percent, yeah. It was yeah. Adding everyone else, yeah. Adding up everyone else, they don't even crack a quarter of the pie.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's definitely somewhere between seventy-five to eighty percent in any given month. <sighs> um, and so it's massive. And then you've got, you know, the other three, you know, largest players, all within, you know, five to seven to ten percent in any given month, okay. depending on sort okay. of, you know, what promotion they're running or sort of what partnership they have in place. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I mean, PSA is the lion's share of the market.
0: Didn't they also, and, and I'm not trying to make this into an all PSA, uh, but you know, it's hard to not talk about, right. It, it's having a podcast about fast food and then not, not talking about McDonald's. Right. Um, did they kind of expanded and then contracted their staff, the, the graders, or was that other positions? I, I feel like you might. Know they, this it was from, outside of grading. About, I'm
1: pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was outside, outside. of grading.
0: Yeah. Outside of grading, okay. Um, so New Jersey mostly Pokemon. Does that mean California is more of the sports?
1: I think they're the primary point. Okay, almost okay. all at all sports, but you know they get significant majority, especially like if there's a higher end card or vintage card, those are going up.
0: Gotcha, makes sense. Um, yeah, it's uh, it should really. I've talked about this plenty in in, in my podcast in the past, but. I mean you're telling me that japanese cards with the the japanese quality are just far better and easier to grade than american like it, it astounds me how we as american consumers have ex- generally accepted that cards that you pack pull may not come out all gem like it's just we've, we've accepted it as consumers because we keep buying it we keep buying these damaged cards whether it, the damages from uh, you know, uh, dropping physical dropping, which you, you can't really help with manufacturers, but like print lines, right, and like um, just off-centered stuff. Like the, that's isn't. I mean, please let me know if I'm wrong, but centering and print lines, those are manufacturer errors. That we talked about like aftermarket damage, right? I, I can't remember if it was you or someone else, but you know, there's there's production damage and there's aftermarket damage, and we've come to a general con- consensus or okay that. You know, hey, send it. We'll keep ripping. You you keep making print line damage and off-centered cards. We'll keep buying them.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate to be honest. I, I do wish there was some more control, self-control in this hobby in a lot of ways, where we sort of were willing to put up more of a stand to sort of unite against things that we don't like. And yeah. the reality is, there's just so much momentum or inertia that it's just really hard to, to sort of enforce change at the, you know, the the highest levels here and so I do think like manufacturers have definitely gotten away with a lot you know I can't remember where I've talked about this but if you looked at some of the stuff that was happening in the peak of you know the the boom you know Panini had one person in support with replacements they were doing you know they went from like I can't remember I've heard the number quoted from like 100 million to a billion in sort of like revenue I don't know if that's right but that's probably representative of like what happened yet their support went from like you know one to two people right in that same period and like you know, they were getting worse with printing, you know, they were just piling up these cards in the background. And, you know, it's like nothing's, and they were, you know, uh, increasing prices massively over that same time period. Right. So the, the burden was growing and consumers to get value out of these packs, to get cards that were good conditions that could be graded. Yet Panini was doing like nothing. I'm using Panini. You can sort of maybe translate that to other companies manufacturers as well, but like there was definitely like an underweighting of yeah. the other side of the hobby, which is like, we're going to, Produce all this product, we're going to raise prices, grading costs are going to go up, but we're going to lessen quality at the same time, and we're not going to do anything to help you if you do get a crappy card out of
0: the pack. Yeah.
1: You know, so there was like a desperation, and I've called grading like the bailout for the last couple of years because it really truly is like people pay these sort of ridiculous prices for wax, thinking that they were going to get good quality cards out of, out of the packs. They did not. They still sort of were desperate to grade cards because they needed to recoup something. and. You know, the hobby was sort of okay with a lot of this. And a lot of the, you know, companies that were supplying the hobby benefited, but the actual collectors and consumers in the hobby definitely took a big hit. You know, we're paying these high prices. We're getting cards back that are, you know, we're sending cards out. We're getting cards out of packs that are worse quality. We're sending those in for grading, with which are getting, you know, reasonably so worse grades probably at the same time. Um, and so we're just, they were sucking a lot of money out of the hobby by you know all these companies. Not really being accountable for quality in a big, you know, this really starts at to the top a lot of here. Right. So, anyways, that's a big problem. And it's definitely something that is very frustrating. And we've not done a good job of sort of, you know, I do think like with fanatics coming in, they put more focus on quality. Mm-hmm. And honestly, look, at the end of the day, this is where, when you first said this is where my mind went, which is like, it's definitely going to be a blessing for this era of cards because mm-hmm. if everything did come out in good in good quality, nothing mm-hmm. would be differentiated. And mm. you know, it'd be hard to sort of you know really find anything that's truly rare in this era, other than like very, very, very low serial numbered cards. And so it is back to the point you made earlier, like there's a reason people are not paying are paying less for nines, right? Than they are uh-huh. for a raw card. Because a ten yeah. matters is that much more than a nine in this era of the hobby. And a lot of cards, more cards than you know, more cards are getting a nine than are getting a ten these days. And so mm. out of straight out of the pack. And so you know, that's sort of what we've allowed for. And that's definitely going to be like the saving grace 20 years from now. But in the moment, a lot of money is getting sort of flushed down the toilet.
0: I mean, that's what happens when uh, the, the gym teacher is kind of going through some uh, marital issues. You know, you start <laughs> getting a harsher grader. No, um, when, you, when you're when you talking about that one person in Panini, my mind went to, um, you remember the the movie Office Space, Milton with the red stapler? Yeah, of course. Oh, but that's, yeah. that's my red stapler. That's uh-huh. my red stapler. Um, but no, I, I want to talk about uh, the graded players. You know, we're talking about, you know, we keep buying them and, you know, all these recent uh, years, people really do tend to talk about demand for the wax being strong rookie classes. And, you know, we have the top 10 most graded by PSA, you know, that that's when you and I started talking again Um um, just, just about maybe you coming onto the podcast, but, uh, before we get to most creative players, I did want to kind of give you some more shine and time to talk about kind of like the universal pop report. Cause you've worked so hard on these things that are such great value to the hobby. And I, w- I would love to kind of have you talk more about that if you'd like to.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's just, you know, the, the big thing that I, I've sort of, or the approach that I've taken is that when I came into the hobby, I felt like data was either misrepresented or not misrepresented or not available. And so it was just, there's too much friction. If you truly want to grow this hobby, like, you know, I, I do think marketing obviously plays a factor in this, but I just think like better data will make the hobby more accessible. People will make better decisions. They'll feel more confident in making transactions in the hobby. And everything has been presented and sort of benefit, not everything, but most things have been presented or sort of um, benefiting the seller. And so you see most eBay listings, you know, are sort of identifying population through one grader, you know, and they're saying pop one and all these different things that sort of lead you to believe a different story than is truly sort of playing out in the market. And so, you know, as you sort of get further and further than the hobby, you realize that and you sort of like recognize there's different eras where different grading companies sort of were more prolific than others and sort of times have changed. You know, there was even like an HTA period that you might want to look at or like there was definitely windows where like Beckett was like massive, especially for hiring cards and auto cards and things like that. And like times have definitely changed, but if you wanted to go by, you know, uh, conor mcdavid card or if you wanted to buy a Jokic card or something like that like it's a very different landscape looking at somebody who came into the market in 2015 2016 versus what it is today and so mm-hmm. this universal pop report is to paint a full picture of a card supply, and you know that's supposed to allow you to see you know it's already hard enough to navigate most trading companies pop reports they're just they're there but they're not really invested in a way that's supposed to be the most consumer friendly and sort of like easy to use uh, tool. And so, you know, I'm trying to just make those more accessible, but also paint the full picture of supply and bring that not only to a destination, you can come to generate.com. That's, you know, the universal pop report will exist, but ultimately we want it to just be where people are collected. Right. And so, you know, when I said at the start of this podcast, most of the last two years, has sort of been behind the scenes. Most of it was building and connecting and mapping all the different cards in existence, you know, that have been graded. Mm. And then part of that is actually building the pipes to get that to other tools. And that's how our business has been built to date, which is we have APIs to help it become integrated into other tools, whether that's auction houses or collection management tool, but we don't, I'm not sort of building this business with the idea that people have to visit GemRate in any way, shape, or form for this to be a productive and successful company. Mm. I do want though universal pop reports and universal, you know, um, grading data to be available broadly throughout the hobby. And so, you know, my vision is when you're on eBay and you're looking at a card, you click a button, whether that's via eBay itself or whether generate build plugins, whether that's a Chrome extension, you know, Mm. you should be able to see supply right there. If you're actually on a different marketplace, you know, same concept. If you're in a collection management tool, you know, you should be able to see what the supply is for a card you're looking at or a card that's in your collection, you know, within that, then there's a lot of other sort of opportunities as it relates to like, where could supply go projecting out supply and different things but the universal pop report is around this idea that sellers have been uh benefited by just a lot of the friction as it relates to data in this hobby and i want to level the playing field so that more people can participate and this is an opportunity to grow the hobby like truly grow the hobby bring more people in just make people more confident about what they're doing and so that's sort of the backbone for the universal pop report and why i was built i was, it was born out of frustration in a lot of ways but it's been built mm-hmm. towards the things that I sort of experienced as a new collector or sort of a re-emerging collector. And that's sort of the basis for you know why we built it and what we hope it serves.
0: I absolutely love this. Uh and, and even though we talked about uh, some of this in the past, I mean the podcast grows, right? There are more listeners, and they might not go back to those past um, the, the three-part series. I'll make this into five-part series uh, for you <laughs> for you, Ryan. Um, but no, like uh th- this this idea of like Chrome extensions and, you know, the collection management tools, just plugins make it e- like, you know, there are all sort of extensions out there where, you know, I, I hear ads about them, right? Hey, you want to pay lower for this thing? Here's our coupon tracker thing or, you know, get more bang for your buck by using this extension. So I really I I wish you the, the most the best of luck with that because I you we had not talked about that before. I think that's a really neat idea. So what we don't need from the listeners is for them to go to gemrate.com. Do not go to gemrate.com. <laughs> you actively... can't. Oh, no. We're actively going out of our way not to go to it because you said <laughs> – so that will get you to accelerate the uh, project to get the Chrome extensions. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, so gemrate.com is where people should go to get more information about the cards that they have, right? I mean, what what is the actual – Pop report, yeah. not the, not the artificial scarcity of, uh, B. Oh, like I've had people say that to me. This is a BGS pop three. This is a PS. you know, and it's like, okay, well, so, so what? Right. Like, right. but when you're new, when you're new, uh, to the, to the hobby, you're like, oh my gosh, this there's only three of these in the whole world. Like, wow. You know, I better buy right. this. And it's like, you know, you got you, information has power. So, um, I think last time you were here, I did the Papa John thing. I won't do it now again, but better better ingredients, but no, but better, better data, right. Better decisions. I mean, that's, that, that leads to, um, happier uh, in the sense of like, people won't feel as like hoodwinked. They'll, they'll feel like, Oh, you know what? I know what's going on in the hobby. And I, I want to stay in the hobby as opposed to someone being like, Oh my God, I got screwed over again by someone. This, this hobby is full of terrible people. I, I need to leave. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there's three, just to sort of like tie it all together, there's three sort of main use cases or sort of ways that you would use the universal pop Report, or just like this data in general, but it's like discovery, which is to your point, like I'm getting started. I want to understand, you know, the Cal Ripken market, or I want to understand, you know, the Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto market. You know, it's really hard to sort of get that lay of the land, you know, today, and because we capture all sets and all cards, you can see it pretty confidently within Germany. So people come there a lot of times when they're looking through the lens of a player, they just want to say like, what's the market look like? what are sort of the highest or most frequently graded cards and sort of what are the more rare or scarce cards in the market. Then people come to us where there's a lot of value sort of ascribed around like I'm about to make a purchase and I don't wanna get hoodwinked or I don't wanna sort of fall prey to the shenanigans of all the listings that are out there. And like, Mm -hmm. I actually wanna just like confirm what I think is true and I'll go to generate to double check that there's no sort of surprise. Actually, like one of my favorite Mm -hmm. things with the universal pop report is when there's like a one of one card. You're like, oh, it's actually been graded by all four grading companies. Like that's pretty Uh, weird uh. because it's probably not the 10 that it landed in. It's probably something that they just kept circulating yeah. through the different grading companies. So it got wow. the grade you wanted. And so like, wow. if you think about it through the lens of gold, if you think about it through the lens of like one of ones and, you know, the blacks out there and things like that, it really will start to open up like this additional level of like context of like, Oh, this card has been tossed around like crazy. and yeah. Like just because yeah. it's in that case where it landed, doesn't mean that's necessarily like representative of that grade. It's just where they mm-hmm. sort of were able to sneak it through. Right. And so, It's one of the last places to check to make sure you are getting the car that you expected, uh, which I think is really important. And then the sort of third thing that we sort of service more and more in this universal pop report is going to help with this. And you know, honestly, it's probably where people will find the most value initially. Is I'm about to send a car off to grading. Which what do the gem rates look like for all the graders? Really quickly, and like you just can see that really in one pretty easy to use interface, and be like, okay, this silver prism, you know, grades at 65% here and 40% here. Like naturally, I'm going to sort of if i think the card is even remotely close to gemming, i'm going to send it to the you know the one with the you know the higher gemming. so there's there's sort of uh different ways that we're servicing the hobby and those are sort of like mm-hmm. the key sort of ways today i mean there's obviously more ideas beyond that but that's sort of like the main ways that the universal pop report and pop data in general is sort of helping participants today
0: fantastic i love it if if that doesn't sell people on the service you provide i don't know what else i mean really like here you are listening to a free podcast talking about a free service right i mean people don't pay for gemrate.com right you just it's there it's there yep yep
1: so no 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 fees no ads no nothing right
0: now oh no sponsored ads okay well that's that's something i i i I messed up on then i guess with with my podcast (laughs) um brought to you by Gemrate. okay so get to the graded players list um I forget exactly our exchange but you know i was surprised so there's the top 10 we can talk about and it was mainly like talking about like the three major sports and then of course you know with hockey like i was like where where did gretzky fall like oh my gosh he's not in the top you know whatever so can you uh, and whether we do it going down the names one through ten or whatever it is like can we talk about the most graded players in in the grading space
1: yeah, why don't I just read off the top ten for context do for, it. for listeners, and then we can sort of speak to what sort of happened there. But so Jordan is like almost two times the next closest player as the as the number one all time. This is all time, and it's just through the lens of PSA.
0: Yes,
1: I think that's a pretty good proxy. Obviously, despite all I just said about hey, let's not talk about a single grader. Like that's <laughs> such a limited part of the story. But they do have eighty percent of the cards outstanding, and yes, so yes. you know this does speak to sort of the over twenty years. This is pretty representative of the of the market, and so. Let's just sort of level the playing field. With, sure. This is through the lens of PSA. Complicates things if, if we bring in other graders. Uh, so Michael Jordan is number one with 1.3 million cards graded all time. Griffey Jr. is like a cap of that. And there's LeBron, Kobe, Zion, Ja, Jeter, Otani, which is probably surprising a lot of people if they look at this list for the first time. Then, then Luca, Trout. That's the top 10, effectively. Uh, Brady's right on the outside at 11. And you actually have like Nolan Ryan, Barry Bonds, but it's a lot of it's a lot of basketball, ultra modern basketball. And then there's definitely once you get past that list, you see like a couple, you know, you see some football players sprinkled in like Burrow, Herbert, Mahomes. And like it's funny because you see Burrow and Herbert are ahead of Mahomes on that list. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's interesting. It definitely like is overweighted ultra modern basketball, which was like you know on fire during the peak of grading and when everybody was sending in base right and now that's sort of recalibrated um and then you're seeing like baseball starting to sort of pick up momentum again in that and then football you know is there but it's not as i think that was probably the one that was the most surprising and to your point earlier too like hockey you have to get all the way down to 27 to see brett's right who's you know which is and then like beyond that there's not another hockey player in the top you know 50 and this is only a list of 50 that i have in front of me um but anyways Sorry, that was a quick just like level. Well, how how of, about um, for stuff. my
0: soccer fans? Messi, Ronaldo, who's the first soccer player? Is, is he even in the top 50? Oh, man, that's sad? Nope.
1: No, no, neither of them are on the wow. top 50. You okay. get the last person in the top 50 is actually Tiger. So you do get a Oh, top 50.
0: Last person is Tiger. Which uh, is like
1: way overweighted towards one card. Like, I think, you know, there's 120,000 Tiger Woods out there, and 75,000 are one card.
0: And and you know how competitive Tiger is. He's probably so seething. He's like in his – he's going to make another uh, – he's going to go out there and try to win the uh, the grading space. Um, so, yeah, when I reached out to you, it was really – the most surprising thing was how I was, is was like – how is Burrow, Herbert – how are they not in the top 10? And, you know, we, we put so much emphasis maybe on social media, uh, hobby, Instagram, and all that stuff. You see these cards. And I go to these shows, and I see – just the ultra modern quarterbacks all the kids want to collect is ultra modern quarterbacks and yet they're not in the top 10 is it more of a testament that the top 10 are just so solid like i mean yes i mean out of this top 10 i know some people got really upset when i said lucas not a uh lock for the hall of fame but um <laughs> it's going to be a debate for another time maybe but you know i can i get why zion and john are on this list um i'm maybe a little surprised at trout right but then the top 5 i mean you know jordan griffey lebron kobe well maybe top four like that's understandably undisputable um Mm -hmm. no one would if if you you know you ask people to guess they would probably get those four um right right so so is it a test so going back to the original question i guess is it a testament to those top 10 or is it like more of an indictment on the the more the Small market share that football has for the whole sports card collecting,
1: you know, world. It's a good question, and I, I don't, I don't have like a strong answer that I'm like this is why. But I mean, it definitely sort of speaks to, you know, tw- when things were at its peak. 2019 mm-hmm. basketball was the focal point, and so okay. you know, like Zion and Ja got sort of a ton of momentum from the grading standpoint. You know, Burrow and Herbert obviously were like. Considered to be pretty quickly like generational prospects and, mm-hmm. and potential um, when they, you know, once they sort of came out and actually showed, showed that they could play. Um, but you know, by then it was like not that was pretty quickly followed by the shutdown for you know PSA in particular. And so you know, while I think a lot of people did send cards in, they definitely like got caught up in the system. And it wasn't like the quick, the great to flip opportunity. Like I, that they are two players in particular where I think if I did actually loop in. Beckett data and SGC data and CGC data, you'd actually see them sort of not maybe change massive spots, move up a spot or two just from having the other graders factored in here. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that was when like on the margins, you were getting desperate to send that desperate, but like you were definitely like much more willing to send cards elsewhere at that time because PSA was shut down. And so Mm -hmm. I do think they suffered from the idea that, you know, they they came to market just a little bit too late. And so even though I do think there's like just, if you sort of look, considered collectability and sort of like the basis for each one of those players, wow. probably not that far off, um, relatively speaking. But I do think the reason that you see, just sort of for the listeners, Zion has 380,000 cards, Ja 370,000 cards, but Herbert and Burrow are at like 230,000 cards. So there's like 150,000 card, graded card difference between those two players from a basketball standpoint and those two players from a football standpoint. Yeah. And I do think there's some that gap closes a decent bit if you bring in the other grading, the other grading companies for those
0: specific players. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you. I'm glad we did that. I hope people enjoyed us talking about that. Um, You know, we just kind of said a lot of names there, but um, so just to, in case, well, you want, you want to see the full list, go to Ryan's, uh, go to GemRate's Instagram. And uh, he has it, um, I think it was in the last two weeks, something like that, early mm-hmm. December, late November, you had the top 10 list. Uh, and just dig through the data. I mean, I encourage – I I feel like, you know, and I'm not just pandering here like that. I I really feel like the people who listen to this, I don't talk about card prices going up and down. Like, I, you know, you, you likened my – past podcast style as, like, the hot ones where I have talks with people. <laughs> I've kind of deviated away from that, I think, in the sense of, like, I don't do the chapter episodes as much. But I really like this format where we can just talk about anything at any time. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think that my listenership is, like, I'll put my wrapped, you know, top 10 listeners against any other, you know, podcast top 10 listeners in the hobby. Not in, like, a, like a cage match. Not, like, physical strength. Like, I think that a lot of us are just really weak muscularly, but um, but I, I from a knowledge standpoint, uh, I would put them up there with with any of them. Um, so, uh, you know, I encourage people to go through to your data and just kind of reach out to you. Right? I mean, do you? I mean, do you get a lot of uh, people DMing you about the data, like uh, tr- like trolls or supporters and all that? Like, do you? Should I encourage people to reach out to you?
1: yeah absolutely no most i I get like one or two customer requests a week where people are just like hey can you run you know i don't see this on the site or you know does this exist on the site if not where should i look and you know oftentimes you know you could be looking on the site and it just doesn't exist you can waste 20 minutes where you could just instagram you know dm me and i could run a query in the background and get data to you in five minutes and so you know if you have things that you're thinking about it's always interesting for me to hear you know what people are interested in seeing that may not exist on the website today because again like i said like the website was something i under Weighted as it related to where I was focused over the last couple of years, and so it doesn't service nearly sort of the breadth of needs that I can do sort of with the data behind the scenes. And so, mm-hmm. anyways, yeah, reach out if you have questions. I'm always interested in hearing what people are thinking about.
0: So, so wait a minute, you, you're doing this for free for people?
1: Yeah, I mean, if people if people ask, yeah, sure, of course.
0: You're you're giving you're giving select. <laughs> wait, hold on, hold on. I don't even know how to ask this but are you saying us peons can get access to your mind at any time and like you can run like detailed specific queries for people and you will just do it just just because you i i'm i'm shocked i how, how have i not done that and i and i dm you more than i i i maybe i should maybe i'll run a query for uh you know my kevin durant uh collection or something um
1: well no i mean i love the questions i mean that's you know i don't have i mean look if you look at my social presence, it's a monthly post, right? And it's daily yeah. posts. It's all stats. I'm not really contextualizing much else beyond that. Podcasts are an opportunity for me to, you know, let people see a little bit behind the scenes or hear a little yeah. bit about what's happening behind the scenes, right? But you know, generally speaking, I'm not out there promoting the company that aggressively. And you know, people don't really know sort of the diverse ways that you can look at the grading data or questions yes. that you can even ask of it, right? And so I like when people ask you those questions and I don't mind spending, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes, as long as it's a reasonable question, helping shed mm-hmm. some light on stuff. And a lot of times people do turn that into like a social post or something like that, which is awesome. Yeah. But if you don't have to, right. I just, okay. if you have questions, I'm always curious to know what those are because I'm thinking about ways to build that into what I offer and just make available you know, to collectors. But also, um, you know, it's just, it's a, I'm really interested in what people are thinking about in this space. And so I love the questions mm-hmm.
0: That's really nice. Thank you. Um, despite being a Cleveland Browns fan, you're you're mm. quite nice. <laughs> I am, for those listening only in the podcast, I'm wearing a really nice, uh, and I call it really nice, like I'm a um, Baltimore <laughs> Orioles hat. It's Elitis. the tops. it's the top edition, but uh, you know, I am a DC native, uh, not, oh my gosh, I cannot call myself a DC native. My kids will be DC native kids, but um, I live in the DC area and um the, I did go to a Ravens game. Uh, I love Orioles Park, but I texted or I, I sent a message to Ryan when the Browns played the Ravens. I remember it was November 12th, and I thought it was Cade York. It was not. It, you reminded me. It was <laughs> Dustin Hopkins hit a game winning uh-huh. field goal? They were down by two points, and they hit a game winning, a walk off game winning field goal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I they the Browns actually beat yes, and now.
1: And now we have Flacco as our QB. So thank yeah. you for the, the you know the gift of Flacco. Right now he's a between Hopkins, who is a revelation from a kicking standpoint, and now Flacco, who looks very serviceable from a QB standpoint. We have some mm-hmm. stability. I, the team is still you know has its flaws, but at least it's a wide open AFC. So it'll be interesting to see if the you know, Browns and Ravens lock up again.
0: Are you are you wacko for Flacco?
1: Honestly, he just looks like composed. And can make throws, so uh, I'll take it. I'm not like, you know, I I honestly did not like Flacco at all, obviously, for a lot of reasons when uh, he was in the division. And, you know, it was just not interesting to me. Um, But given we were starting DTR rookie quarterback that could throw the ball well and a bunch of other, you know, secondary, second tier market or second tier quarterbacks, it's nice to at least have somebody serviceable in there. They, you
0: know, I can't believe you just said that word again because I I heard it the first time you said it and I was gonna make a Deshaun Watson joke, and I'm like he just said it again. Serviceable. Uh, shout out. <laughs> Not, intentional. Not, Not intentional. Not intentional. But man, I see um, a
1: bus. I mean, I hope yeah. he, I hope I eat those words. But he is very frustrated. Talk about somebody who gets paid and doesn't care anymore. Like that is quintessential Deshaun Watson right now. I
0: mean, yeah. Maybe yeah. there's more going on
1: behind the scenes, and I don't want to know if that's true. But like I. <laughs> It was a controversial move to begin with and boy is it not playing out well at all
0: man you know at some point my the family friendly and the uh clean title uh the the clean label for my podcast is gonna have to just come out just be thrown out and we'll just get all explicit and crazy but until then um the uh yeah deshaun watson just uh what happened happened i don't know but um Cleveland Browns, Cleveland's finest. Shout out to Neo, who I've gotten really into his his uh, content and watching his YouTube stuff. Um, just just really good. Um, but the two of you, my my main Cleveland Brown fans, uh, whenever I come by some cards, I'll I'll send them your way. So yes, thank you. I have the
1: ones you sent me right by my my, my side here at the desk. Thank that, you for
0: those. That, I appreciate that. It. Was that was the only way I could get you on the pot a uh, pot a second time?
1: Was uh, I, <laughs> can be, I can be bu- I can be bought with low end parallels of – Yes. Former Browns. Yes,
0: former Browns, Jamal Lewis. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Another Raven to Browns,
1: right? I mean, exactly. uh, It's like a subtle jab to be like, here's your, you know, thanks for picking up our scraps. Enjoy yes. a, you know Jamal Lewis the ninety nine from twenty twelve. So thanks.
0: For and that. and and as you know, Ryan, my, my entire collection is all low end. There's no I have no really nice cards, just just a bunch of just stuff laying around. So I'm glad that I could get it to someone who might mildly appreciate it more than I can. But um thank you so much for this appearance. Uh I will try to keep this into one episode. You are just fantastic and I, I wish you nothing but the best for 2024 and uh, you know have you on before 2024 is wrapped in grading and all that um but you know you as always have been full of knowledge so thank you so so much
1: thanks for the opportunity thanks for the questions always a pleasure congrats on the sponsorship you know that's <laughs> yeah. exciting
0: thank you all right take care
1: all right Ben.